everybody, this is Rob, and this is What's on Joe Mind Rack Time, where we're going to take a look at the comics featuring G.I. Joe. Since we're doing this right now, that means we've had another G.I. Joe book drop. It is G.I. Joe Real American Hero 262, story by Larry Hama, art by Netho Diaz. Let's take a look and see what's inside. This issue is part two of Artificial Intelligence. It picks up right where the last issue left off. Destro and the Baroness are desperately trying to get away from Alpha-001, who has gone full beast mode on them and has trapped their helicopter in these giant metallic coils. Not to spoil anything, Destro and the Baroness are able to leave, but they do not get away. That's kind of like our visit with what's probably the main plot, if you are listening to the story of Artificial Intelligence. The rest of the issue, we're checking in on some subplots that we have had simmering on the back burner for a while. First stop is in Utah at the main branch of the pit. Sightline has just gotten fitted for his new prosthetic leg by Lifeline and Dr. Hauser, Duke's wife. He immediately jumps into the training area and he finds that he's able to jump farther and kick harder than before, so he's kind of like Mike Power. Duke and Mainframe walk in. They say that they were able to clean like three Trojans out of the leg and found a transmitter that was supposed to be feeding information about G.I. Joe back to Cobra, but since they found it, Duke is going to use it to play a little game and feed some misinformation down to Cobra Commander. In another section of the pit, we see Muskrat and somebody who I think is probably Torpedo because he looks a lot like how Torpedo was drawn in Silent Option, taking two new Joes, Joystick, who we met last issue, and Mongoose, through their new holographic projection simulator. Basically, G.I. Joe gets to train in a holodeck or a danger room now. And if you're a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, you know that that never works. So, particularly given the fact that we're dealing with revanche and all sorts of nasty artificial intelligences, I would suggest to the Joes that they keep mainframing in the bullpen and ready for this one. Next, we jump to San Francisco on their BART system public transportation. We see two skinheads accosting a man of Asian descent. They're telling him to go back where he came from. The guy's telling him, hey, I'm originally from Oxnard. I don't want to go back there. It's basically, he's, he must be some form of Arashikage master because he's using a lot of the tropes that Larry Hama uses every time he introduces a new Arashikage master, in that he talks his way out of it, and because he's so confident in his martial arts abilities, he never has to use them, and he's able to just get his way out of that situation without any violence. Jump next to Staten Island in the reopened branch of the old pit where Clutch and Stalker pull up in the vamp, which in one panel has a machine gun on the back, and the next panel has a missile box. Oops. They say the vamp is probably running a little hot and is overdue for an oil change. So Scarlet and Snake Eyes, or Throwdown, you know, Sean Collins, pop the hood and start to get to work on that. When a seagull flies right into their path, normally the seagulls in New York are, that's no big deal because they're annoying and get everywhere. But Scarlet knows there's something a little off on this seagull. She takes it down and it smokes and sputters, revealing that it was in fact a robotic drone. Over in the East Village, we check in on a ramen place where... Granny, Jinx, Dawn, and Helix are grabbing dinner. What looks to be a disabled vet pops in, immediately starts quoting poet Wilfred Owen, which sets off some of the customers, but Helix and Dawn immediately jump up and quote the rest of the poem back to him. The owner of the ramen shop gives this uh, gentleman some noodles and basically thanks him for his service. And they talk a little bit about poet Wilfred Owen, who was a British poet during World War I. He wrote most of his poetry while serving in the army. His poetry dealt with the futility of the war and the cost it was having on the people participating in the war and basically on society in general. 
He was a decorated poet in British society. He was also a decorated soldier in the British Army. He did lose his life in the war in 1918. The final scene that we jump to is in Springfield. We see Cobra Commander and Dr. Mindbender on the golf course. This is really the sequel to Caddyshack that we should have gotten. They're talking about, first, all the bugs that they've planted in the prosthetic leg, which, of course, all the Joes have found. So I don't know really why they're gloating about that. And then a televiper and a techno-viper pull up in a golf cart and show Cobra Commander the intelligence from the Seagull drone, which shows that there is indeed a Snake Eyes at the pit. Cobra Commander interprets this to be that the original Snake Eyes is alive and that he's really, okay, the rumors of his death were greatly exaggerated. They really weren't, because we all know that that's Sean Collins. But he's realizing, well, we have a Snake Eyes, and we have a Don Moreno who has the memories of Snake Eyes, so now we have two Snake Eyes. How did I get myself in this mess? Dr. Mindbender says there might be a way we can use this to our advantage, which intrigues Cobra Commander. That's the end of the issue right there. We get a little bit of a heads-up for next issue, which will be done by Larry and uh, returning artist Shannon Gallant. And it is a a special one-off issue honoring the characters of G.I. Joe that have lost their lives in the line of duty. So Snake Eyes, Doc, Breaker, Quick Kick, etc. will be featured in that issue. I don't know how this little one-off issue is going to affect the Artificial Intelligence story arc. I kind of think that the Artificial Intelligence story title has been put there more by IDW Editorial than by anything that Larry has planned. He tends to write a little bit more from the cuff. I think they want to market it for the trade, and that's just not how Larry operates most of the time. This issue, it's really a big throwback to the 80s. It really kind of felt more like a transitional issue than part two of any type of particular arc. And I just think that that's just editorial trying to put it in a book sometime down the road. Anyway, that is it for this issue. If we're looking for any recommendations, if you're hitting the comic shop this week, there's nothing G.I. Joe related. I do recommend, if you're at the shop, though, try uh, picking up Green Lantern number 8. It's written by Grant Morrison, art by Liam Sharp. It really feels like an early 80s British sci-fi comic that you might see in 2001, uh, 2000, I'm sorry, 2000 AD or Warrior. That's how Grant Morrison started, and it looks like he's kind of going back to that. It's very different from what we've gotten from Green Lantern recently. I kind of like it because it is different. It's still Green Lantern, but it's a little bit more sci-fi out there, which is good. Anyway, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Rack Time. As soon as a new G.I. Joe book comes out, we will be back. See you soon.